0: Hey, welcome to The Heavy with Andrew and Don, where we cover a large range of rock and metal topics for the casual listener. I'm your host, Don Sutherland. With me, as always, my brother, Andrew Sutherland.
1: What's up, dirtbags? Uh, Remember, you can
0: email us at theheavypod at gmail.com or DM us on Facebook if you ever want to shoot us a message, have any comments or anything. And Andrew, what are we talking about today?
1: Uh, We're going to talk about five hard rock or metal bands that replaced iconic singers.
0: All right, let's get into it. Allison Chains, is that one?
1: No, you know what, honestly, like, I was planning on doing a whole bunch of different bands, and then I realized it just gets to just, like, mention it and not get into depth about a bunch of them. It would just not do it right. justice, so I figured I'd, I'd just do five, and that way I can keep our workout playlist kind of reasonable and, like, actually get uh, a little bit yeah. deeper into it, you know? Right. And is it um, ones
0: that that did it and then did it well, actually made some albums with a different sound or had success with it?
1: Yeah, for the for the most part, like uh, we mentioned a few in the past that we've talked about, uh, not necessarily in depth about the actual singer replacement, but just mentioned that it happened in the course of the right. band's history or whatever. But in general, um, as a little bit of a setup here, the front man or singer of a hard rock or metal band is often the most recognizable member despite how much they may or may not contribute to the actual songwriting or creative <laughs> side of the music. Some of them are very involved, and some of them, yeah. they just come and they read the lyrics. That oh, we just, we wrote, just right? talked
0: about Motley Crue, and uh, that seems Yeah, Nicky Sticks like, is hey, writing most yeah. of those lyrics, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, and we've mentioned a, f- a few of these bands in the past already, including Motley Crue with John Karabi replacing Vince Neil, uh, Ian right. Gillen replacing Rod Evans in Deep Purple, which I believe we mentioned way back, and another one from way back, Phil Anselmo replacing Terry Glaze and Pantera.
0: Right.
1: So plenty of hard rock and metal bands have changed singers, some of them more than once, but not all singers are as integral to a band's sound or image as some. So we'll discuss lineup changes to a few well-known bands that either worked out or failed. Uh, It ended up being, because I had to narrow the list down so much, most of these ones are successful ones. Okay. Uh, But there'll be ones, I'd like to do an episode later where we talk about ones that failed <laughs>
0: where
1: they did <laughs> okay. but we'll start out with a band that everybody listening should probably know black sabbath so we've we've talked about this in the past but not specifically the change of vocalist but right. uh, I, after
0: side note i feel like an idiot right now because for a second i went was there someone before Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> oh right 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 i don't know
1: We're we we're, we're talking about Ozzy as the iconic frontman <laughs> Yeah, no. But then, for but for um, a
0: second, I'm like
1: I feel like I've gotten the story really wrong. Yeah. So uh, uh, after a string of classic albums with Ozzy from about 1970 to 1975, Sabbath released the album *Technical Ecstasy* and uh, *Never Say Die* in 1976 and 1978, respectively. So these were the last two Ozzy albums. Okay. Well, until until recently, but like on their first run. So Ozzy started to get really flaky when the band was trying to record the subsequent album. Never Say Die. Right. Or actually no, the the album after Never Say Die actually cuz they were going to work on the, the the following album. And uh his drug and alcohol abuse was becoming a big problem. And at one point when the band was trying to work on their next album, Ozzy up and disappeared for 6 weeks. <laughs> and uh oh, it kind of makes okay. it tough to work on the album. Yeah. Or when he did show up, he was too messed up to even sing. So the rest of the band, most notably Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler, they decided that he needed to be let go. Oh, so, I didn't
0: realize that they kicked him out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like he was just a mess at the time, and uh, oh, okay. they just couldn't get any work done with him. I guess. Yeah,
0: makes sense.
1: So Sabbath would end up hiring former Rainbow and Elf singer Ronnie James Dio to replace Ozzy, and they would oh, yeah. actually change their sound to fit his new vocal style. Mm-hmm. So, and it worked. Uh, d- this one definitely did work. So they released the, uh, in my opinion, phenomenal album Heaven and Hell in April 1980 and mm-hmm. the, uh, the the new direction of the band was really working on this album so uh bill ward the drummer he would also leave the band and Vinny a or I, I think i pronounced his name two different ways last time i can't remember but Vinny a would take over on drums for the second uh, the second sabbath album with Dio, called mob rules which is also another masterpiece in my opinion right so the i don't uh, think i've
0: listened to that one i've heard heaven and hell i haven't listened to mob rules
1: yeah, I, I would say, like, to me, Heaven and Hell is a stronger album, but Mob Rules is a little bit underrated. I think maybe mm-hmm. now it's got a little more credit, but at the time, it might have been a little bit underrated. Bill Ward is
0: still kind of weird, right? I remember when they were doing their reunion, he was, the for some reason, the one wild card that, like, didn't want to play.
1: I think he had, a lot, like, a lot of health problems and stuff. Mm, okay. But he was also, when I was reading about it from back in the day when Ozzy was all messed up, like, Bill Ward was, like, his drinking buddy, and he was always drunk all the time. Uh, and <laughs> gotcha. some of the stories you read, it's like he, he was always drunk, but he he wouldn't go anywhere. He just, they just like sit him up behind his kit and he could still kind of play. So oh. it, was, it wasn't like with Ozzy where he would just disappear and not even be there and yeah, come back and they couldn't <laughs> even sing at all. He's completely gone.
0: Uh, oh, you're right, by the way. It was heart problems. So,
1: yeah, I remember him because I, I saw them yeah. for their last reunion tour. Uh, obviously, it wasn't their last reunion tour, but this is like, mm. and, uh, it must have been like 90 was it 98 or 90, 99, I think, maybe. And mm-hmm. uh, it was for OzFest, and they were, they were headlining OzFest at the time. And, and Bill Ward actually played in that one, but he was looking pretty pretty ragged.
0: Oh, yeah. No, that's awesome. I'm, I'm just re- reading about it right now, and he, like, wanted to play <laughs> very badly. I feel like maybe the article when it happened was ominous, and it yeah. sounded like he just didn't want to do it. But it did. he did play a final show and was really happy that he got one more show in,
1: in like, 2017. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, eventually though Dio would butt heads with Naomi and Butler Mm. pretty much soon after they made Mob Mob Rules uh, he he wanted more input in the direction of the band and he would end up taking a a, a piece, the drummer and forming his own band, Dio you've probably Mm -hmm. heard of Mm -hmm. and uh, he'd leave a a short short lived but lasting legacy because those albums are really solid Mm -hmm. and I
0: I forgot that he was dead, that's sad
1: yeah I, I had cancer yeah, it's that. A bummer. yeah. It's a, definitely a big loss to the the rock and metal world yeah that was one that really sucked yeah, yeah and like, he was seemed like everybody like he had a pretty good reputation too and if you ever watch him interviewed and stuff he always seemed like such a, yeah. a good guy and like such a professional you know
0: yeah well once again back to the metal uh, headbangers journey documentary his interview in that is probably one of the best ones there because you yeah, can tell really he's good. just super pumped to talk with another person who loves the music. And yeah. he's clearly a nice guy. He's got a bunch of big swords on the wall. It's awesome. I was just going to say, he
1: yeah, has such a cool house too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Cool in the walls. <laughs> yeah. it's sweet. Uh, Dio would later uh, join back up with Sabbath in, in the early 90s. And they released an album called Dehumanizer. And then uh, they would reform again as Heaven and Hell with he and Iommi and Butler years later. And okay. play their, their Sabbath stuff. Just under a, not under the Black Sabbath name.
0: Without... Uh without Bill Ward
1: I don't believe Bill Ward was in that yeah I, I didn't look too much into that one but he is not yeah all right so moving on from Black Sabbath we're gonna jump to Van Halen so that's was- that's the, one, that's the <laughs> one right away as soon as you said
0: that like Van Halen's got to be
1: in there <laughs> Yeah, you're waiting for that one eh yeah uh, Van Halen was one of the biggest hard rock acts in the in the world from the later 70s all the way into the mid 90s and uh, David Lee Roth fronted the band through their first six albums before leaving after the album 1984. So, although not the most technically gifted singer, Roth was <laughs> charismatic and really energetic. And yeah. coupled with Eddie Van Halen, they were the face of the band. And at that time, they had just reached new heights of popularity for the band. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of crazy that he would you know leave the band right when they're at their most successful. Really, right? Yeah,
0: and he... Uh... He's got like these these little quips and stuff that he throws in like in I think it's Hot for Teacher.
1: Might be a oh, might yeah, be a yeah. different
0: one where uh you can hear him uh like ripping on the the producer guy.
1: Yeah, was that stuff like candid? Did you just come up with that on the spot?
0: Yeah, he's just it- he's just riffing in between songs cuz uh, I guess the guy was uh, I believe the story is he's wearing some sort of shirt and he's like, "Look at you! You're gonna get some leg tonight." And you hear him go, "Come on, man! Give me a break!"
1: Oh, so that was actually a legitimate interaction, eh? And they just, yeah, it was just it was they? just him ripping on the guy's outfit or something like that. That's Hilarious. Yeah. So uh, Roth had originally announced on April first, nineteen eighty-five, which uh, is April Fools, if you didn't know, oh, yeah. <laughs> that he was that he was leaving <laughs> Ben Halen to pursue a solo career. But in reality, they didn't actually part ways until 1986. Hmm. So David Lee Roth had already released a solo EP at this time called Crazy from the Heat. And mm-hmm. it was a bunch of like, cover songs he did. Okay. And Eddie Van Halen allegedly initially asked uh, a singer named Patty Smith to join the band, but she refused. Uh, she? Was, she was from a band called uh, Scandal or something.
0: I want to say it sounds
1: familiar, but I might just think of a different Patty. And he also asked Daryl Hall from Hall & Oates. But uh, obviously, he never took the job. Uh,
0: all right, Patty Smith. I don't even know her music, but uh, makes more sense than than that, I think. Uh,
1: was she in the CG CBGB episode, Patty Smith? Uh, no. Okay. So there, that was Patty Smith, but she spells it differently. So Patty Smith that Van Halen was talking to spells her names with a Y instead of an I. So Patty Smith from CBGBs was like Patty with an I, Smith with an I. So different. Oh, music. I'm
0: looking at the wrong Patty then.
1: Yeah. So Patty yeah. Smith that he was talking to is from Scandal. It's like Patty Smith and Scandal. Right, okay. That's uh, kind of like pop pop rock, I guess. So uh, ultimately they replaced David Lee Roth with the Red Rocker, Sammy Hagar, which is fairly right. well known, I guess. Formerly of Red the band. Ma- yeah, that's his nickname, the Red Rocker.
0: Uh, I, I, I sh- I've never heard that for some reason. Like I'm familiar um, with him, but is it because he's Ginger?
1: I'm disappointed, Don, but I, I don't know. I know you had like a red guitar, though. So I don't know. If uh, you... <laughs> OK, oh, you know what? That is why <laughs> is the red guitar? He
0: had a he had a red guitar and he'd wear red pants. And he had a hit song called Red.
1: <laughs> oh, man, I totally just like guessed. And <laughs> like I, just, you're, I, you're I was pretty sure right. I, I had like one of his albums on vinyl. And I was pretty sure I had a picture of him with a red guitar. So I just kind of threw that out there. But <laughs> It's as simple so, as that. He just went all in on the color. Yeah, he got a little bit of alliteration there, which works, too. Right? Exactly. So he was formerly frontman for a band called Montrose, and uh, he also had his own solo material as well, leading up to joining Van Halen. Right, right. So Van Halen would continue to find success with Hagar as the lead vocalist, and they released another four studio albums with him. So the band's sound changed a bit with Hagar on vocals, and he also acted as a second guitarist, because he was a pretty accomplished guitarist as well. And it definitely worked. the uh, The songs were a bit more... Uh, synthesizer keyboard heavy than previous releases, not including the song Jump, which is like all keyboard synthesizer. But yeah, you know what I mean?
0: Is right now David Lee Roth or uh, no, Sammy right Hagar? Now is, right
1: now, right now, Sammy Hagar. Yeah.
0: OK, yeah, that makes sense then.
1: So uh, and then after Sammy Hagar, they would uh, their next vocalist would not find the same success as those two <laughs> Roth and Hagar. They recruited they another a, one. Yeah, they recruited former extreme singer Gary Cher- Cheroni uh, we talked about Extreme at, at one point. I, I believe in the, actually the uh, guitar solos episode, we had okay. one of the Extreme songs on there because mm-hmm. their guitarist, Nuno, Nuno Betancourt, was phenomenal. Right. But uh, honestly, Sharoni is actually a really good singer. But uh, they they put out an album called Van Halen 3. And uh, you can't really fault Sharoni's singing abilities because he actually was technically a pretty good singer. But the. Yeah. Uh, from what I've listened to, and like I never listened to that record very much until now, because I just heard it wasn't very good, and the, uh, the songwriting was pretty substandard compared to their old stuff. No, it's. Yeah. I I tried to listen to it. The songs are kind of they sound uninspired, and they're sort of meandering, like they don't really go anywhere.
0: Right. Do you know uh, who so, um, mainly writes the Van Halen songs?
1: I always assumed it was Eddie.
0: That's what I'm assuming too. I was just wondering if it was uh, some sort of surprise, like now it's the drummer or something. Oh, uh, Alex Van Halen. Yeah, the other Van Halen. I knew there was another one. I couldn't remember what instrument he played. I knew there was a.
1: I knew there was a second one. Yeah, it's one. One thing I'm not really sure about. Actually, I. I well, there's a lot of things I'm not very sure about, but that's one thing I. <laughs> I didn't really look into is uh, who their song credits go to. Yeah, like, we're not we're really sure. talking about it, so. It could have been all Eddie. It could have been like, you know, a combination of all of them. I'm not Omics sure. A yeah, I'm sure Alex must have had a say in some of those, and even Michael Anthony, their old bassist, may have mm-hmm. had a hand in that. I'm not really sure uh mm-hmm. that's i mean we'll do some more on van halen at some point and go a little bit deeper into yeah i mean van yeah. halen had tons of good material especially that early raw stuff yeah and uh
0: sort of aside to van halen there was that taylor hawkins tribute concert and uh wolfgang van halen Eddie's oh, son, was out funny. there and he was playing guitar because he played bass for van halen for a while um, yeah but he uh he came out and he was now I can't remember what Van Halen song they were playing, but he's pretty good. It was a great performance.
1: Yeah, I saw Van Halen with David Lee Roth uh, when they toured for, it might have been right before they put out the new album they made in 2012 with David Lee Roth, I can't remember. It was around that time anyway, and Wolfgang was playing bass for them at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, uh, Taylor Hawkins, we'll, we can throw this, uh, the, this link up there. Um, the Wolfgang Van Halen at the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert. It was hot for Teacher, and he plays it with Dave Grohl, but he kills it.
1: Oh, nice. I mean, the kid's have been playing music since he was walking. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, There's... and uh, and actually, they got Taylor Hawkins' son out there, too, for a song, and he destroyed it
1: also. Is he a drummer as well?
0: Yeah, he played My Hero, and it was very
1: good. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I probably should have watched that.
0: <laughs> it's, it's weird. I haven't been able to find a high-quality version of the entire concert like it's all just people filming from the crowd but that might just be yeah. me but it seems like it's not super available for some reason
1: yeah maybe eventually they'll probably release something
0: yeah yeah they'd have to it's like a paul mccartney shows up rush it's insane that's yeah, a huge event sure yeah
1: so yeah, like i was saying they would release another studio album with roth and they would actually they would reunite with david lee roth and sammy hagar both respectively and simultaneously over the mm-hmm you know, a period of time after the Chironi debacle. Right. <laughs> but, uh, the album they made with Roth in 2012 was called A Different Kind of Truth. And it's actually a pretty good album.
0: I don't think I've listened to it, but... I yeah, just...
1: it, it, it's definitely way better than Van Halen 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
0: uh, they, they're still, like, great musicians, so it's I'd assume they'd be able to get back to it
1: at some point. Yeah, that's the thing about, like, Van Halen 3 is... It's Eddie Van Halen playing some wicked Eddie Van Halen guitar, but over songs, that just aren't that good. So, oh, okay. So he, you know. he needs a better supporting cast. Yeah. Well, I think it's just the songwriting. Yeah. I mean, I think musically, they're all still phenomenal musicians. They just maybe tried to go a different direction, and it didn't work. I'm not really right. sure. Yeah. All right. After Van Halen, so out of the big four thrash bands that we've talked about, so you know, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax. Mm-hmm. So Anthrax is the only one with a dedicated singer. So Metallica, I think we, this is probably something we've talked about before, too, where, you know, James Hetfield plays rhythm guitar and sings. Uh, Dave yep. Mustaine plays lead guitar and sings. And Tom Maria plays bass and sings, right? Right. So yeah. Anthrax actually has a singer. And uh, they're, the only, they're the only one that's had more than one singer in their history as well. So all the other bands it was like always the same singer on their recorded albums anyway. Mm-hmm. That's what I went
0: so. to, too. I was trying to remember, like, no, James Hetfield was always a singer. There's no way Dave Mustaine... Snuck his way in there early on, <laughs> like no, I was trying no, to remember like, if I'd missed something there.
1: They, I think, before they recorded anything, they were they were looking at getting a, a singer, like just a singer, and and yeah, uh, was just gonna play guitar, but he ended up just doing the singing. And like from their first recorded, like from their first demo, and then their first album, he was doing the singing.
0: Yeah, just ended up like that. All
1: right. So we we talked about Anthrax's original frontman Neil Turbin on the previous episode, where we were talking about first the. Uh, the first albums of each right. band. And although it's a good album, they really hit their stride with his replacement, Joey Belladonna. So he had kind of an unconventional vocal style for thrash metal at the time. So he had uh, more of a range, more of a clean style. Mm-hmm. And he gave the band a unique dynamic compared to other thrash bands of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, so, especially compared to the, the other three there, like a lot more gruff.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely had a more like traditional hard rock vocal style. But then, you know, coupled that with the thrash style of the, of the music, it was right, of a cool yeah. combination. So after releasing several albums with Belladonna through the 80s and into the early 90s, they would eventually fire him and replace him with huh. for, former Armored Saint singer John Bush, who, like I, I always mention things probably in previous episodes that kind of are interesting facts to me. But John Bush was actually asked to join Metallica early on, but he turned it down. Oh. So I believe we we probably mentioned that on that that Big Four episode we did.
0: Yeah, we might have, but I don't remember that. So that's interesting.
1: Yeah. No. So trying to look up d-
0: Anthrax the band, and I got Anthrax the bacteria. That's.
1: Oh yeah, every time I type in Anthrax to look up the band, I always worry I'm going to put on like a watch list.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It's like the band is
1: always sixth down or something. It's just yeah. mixed in there. So in interviews, some of the members of the band have stated that it wasn't personal, uh, letting Belladonna go, but they felt that they were going in a different direction musically at the time, okay. and Scott Ian said he pushed for the change. So Scott Ian's like the, the main guy, the, the rhythm guitarist. Right. So the band actually made an appearance on the show Married with Children right before Joey was let go, which is kind of uh, cool.
0: Really? As themselves?
1: Yeah, yeah, like as the band. So I, I actually watched the clip. On, uh, it's on YouTube but I watched the clip of the, and it's actually a pretty long segment that they're in it so it looks like Bud and uh what's their name uh, Kelly?
0: Sounds Andy. right? It's been a while since I yeah. watched that show.
1: <laughs> but the kids anyway they they won some contest where Anthrax was like supposed to come to their house and like play at their house. So the band actually shows up at their house and there's a big scene and uh <laughs> like Marcy comes over and stuff and the band en- ends up playing like in their living room. It's kind of cool.
0: That's, that's that's cool. And I don't even know if I would want to win that contest. Like, that just sounds like a lot of setup for that and seems like a
1: bad environment to see a metal band play. Oh, yeah. And then they, they yeah. just, obviously, it's part of this, like, in the script, but they just start smashing stuff in the living room, too.
0: Ah, yeah. Okay, that and makes Pe- sense.
1: And Pe- Peg and Al are there, so they just go crazy. Right. So the first album that Anthrax would release with John Bush was called The Sound of White Noise, and it was a shift okay. from more of a thrash style to like a heavy alt-rock style. So, although right. it still kept some of the thrash-style guitar riffs in the drums, so in my opinion, uh, "Sound of White Noise" is a great album, and Bush's lower-range vocal style gives the band a new, edgier sound. I mean, to be fair, though, I, I mean, I love their old stuff too. It's just a, it was different, but different in a good way. Right. I have yeah. a lot of, I have a lot of love for both, both singers and their time mm-hmm. for that, and the uh, the songwriting on that album is is very solid. So, the band would also like a lot of these bands, would later return to the sound of their 80s glory days. But uh, all four studio albums with Bush are, are worth listening to. And uh, some of them didn't do so well, but I think a lot of it was due to not getting proper support from their record labels. Right. Because I mean, it's the, the 90s, and you're going from grunge, and you're going into like new metal and stuff. And they just weren't able to to get the backing that they would normally would have maybe in the uh, 80s or further into the 2000s. Yeah. Because all you know, the, all that stuff started coming back, right? Like, Pantera is one of the few that really mm-hmm. like flourished in the '90s, I guess.
0: Probably because they were a little bit different. Like they had well, that cowboy metal
1: thing going on. Yeah, well, they had they definitely had their like they had that groove metal kind of thing. They they definitely yeah. had their their distinct sound. And they also the great thing about Pantera is that when everyone else was shifting to try to adapt to what was going on, they went the other way. They like they totally just mm-hmm. stuck to their guns. When they put out. Uh, you know Volbeat display of power they get a little bit heavier they put out far beyond driven and then yeah. after far beyond driven you know the record company's pushing them in one direction they end up putting out the great southern train kill which is the exact opposite of what the record company wanted them to do so they made like these really long really unstructured songs <laughs> right like super super heavy and it was pretty awesome like just just telling everyone to go like kiss their ass they're just going to do what they want kind of thing right mm-hmm.
0: I guess it kind of works if you're uh, going in the wrong direction in the right way, if that makes sense. Like it's what, pe- it's a refreshing to people instead of just being like, Oh, this is bad compared to what I like.
1: Oh, uh, they definitely did it right. Like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, all their albums were with, with Phil were great, but that, yeah. Grace of the Trenkel was, it was so, so different. It was phenomenal. Like the, yeah, it was just, it was one of the heaviest things I heard at the time. And it I've was, been, uh,
0: I've been listening to Pantera uh, as my pump-up song for my recreational basketball league, and it's been... We've lost two games in a row, but we did get better,
1: so it's working. you on strength beyond strength. That's a great workout song. Perfect.
0: All right, that's the one I'll put on after this.
1: <laughs> all right, the next band, we're going to talk about Iron Maiden, and Iron Maiden's history of singers is sort of similar to Anthrax's. Yeah, so their original vocalist for their first two albums from uh, called Iron Maiden and Killers, Paul Diano. He was a competent singer, but after his addictions became too much of a problem, he was replaced by Bruce Dickinson, who's very powerful and soaring vocal style. And has a pilot's license. And also has a pilot's license, yes. (laughs) uh, His vocal style would be instrumental in propelling the band into becoming basically a heavy metal juggernaut at the time. Very, Mm -hmm. very well known. So Dickinson would leave the band in 1993 to concentrate on his solo career, and the band would release Two albums with his replacement, a guy named Blaze Bailey, who uh, he came from a band called wolfsbane Okay. So they would release uh, an album called The X Factor in 1995, and another album called Virtual Eleven, which is a stupid name, in uh, 1998. <laughs> yeah.
0: What does that mean? <laughs> yeah.
1: So I remember some of the songs from this era, including the god awful The Angel and the Gambler, and its absolutely ridiculous video with really bad CGI.
0: I've never seen this, but no so bad. You have <laughs> to watch it.
1: It's like cringeworthy. It's so bad. Okay. So to be fair, there's a few halfway decent songs between the two Bailey albums, but overall the quality of the music took a huge hit. A lot of it was due to Bailey's much more limited vocal range compared to Dickinson's. Mm. He wasn't a bad singer. He just didn't have that that range. And yeah, I mean, probably it showed more in their live performances when he was trying to sing the Bruce Dickinson stuff. Uh, More yeah. than on the album.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, like you can to... write around it, but when you have this whole catalog that you got to play, with yeah. These shows...
1: Well, then I listened to some of his Wolfsbane stuff, and actually, his voice sounds pretty good with, with their stuff. It's like way better than it does with the Iron Maiden albums he did. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh my God. This video. It's so bad. It's <laughs> insane. I feel like I'm watching a StarCraft cinematic clip,
1: like in between your scenes. It looks awful. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean the CGI was not at the right point at the time for what they wanted to do. Obviously. I guess
0: I guess not, but hey, that was right around
1: like Toy Story. It was after Toy Story. Yeah, they I could have done man. better. <laughs> it's like that's some lawnmower man shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty bad. Exactly. Yeah. So the the band would end up dismissing Bailey, mainly due to the issues he had with his voice on the tour, like I was saying, trying to sing outside of his vocal range. Right. And also because of his dumb sideburns. <laughs> I, I made that up. It's probably had nothing to do with the Cyburns. I just didn't like them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you personally, you would have kicked him out for
1: that. Yeah, I would have made him shave him. Right. But, Understandable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they brought back Dickinson for 2000's Brave New World, and it really seemed to reinvigorate the band. So I guess this is what I mean by similar to Anthrax. And actually, a lot of the bands in this list, actually, probably all the bands in this list, <laughs> they end up, they end up right. bringing back their singer from their heyday and becoming successful again.
0: Yeah, yeah, or, or well, I, re- like it's a good marketing factor when you can play on the nostalgia.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of these bands, and the, we're talking about the '90s. How the '90s was a really dark time for a lot of these bands that were big in the '80s. There mm-hmm. just wasn't much of a market for them. They're all playing dive bars and like small venues. Yeah, and and, and now you know you'll see Iron Maiden or uh, Black Sabbath or any of these bands. They're going to be playing, except for is Well, even Anthrax actually, they they play stadium tours now. Most of these bands, mm-hmm. right? Like. They definitely were reinvigorated and they and started to uh, get a lot more popularity again. Right. You know, the last 15, 20 years compared to mm-hmm. the 90s. So, uh, yeah, the, the first track, it's called The Wicker Man on that album, is a, a good showcase of Dickinson's vocal prowess. And <laughs> immediately, as soon as he came back, those last two albums were pretty much forgettable. Yeah. yeah. So, and the last band we're going to talk about, who do you think? You got a guess?
0: Uh, after Van Halen, there's like too many <laughs> that none is rising to the top. Van Halen was the main one. Is it someone right. big? Oh, yeah, oh, I guess it ha- I guess it would have to be.
1: These are all Some... fairly big bands. We're not going too obscure today. I'm gonna we'll okay. we'll get a little bit more into the obscure later in the season. right., well, is it someone I listen to a lot that you know of? So the last band we'll talk about is Judas Priest. Oh <laughs> so they're one of the pioneers of heavy metal. They kind of bridged the gap between the early days of metal in the early to mid-70s and then into the new wave of British heavy metal in the 80s. Right. So the albums they released with uh, Rob Halford in the 70s and the 80s up to the early 90s, Mm -hmm. uh, many of them really classic albums, some of my favorite albums actually. And uh, Rob Halford would essentially leave the band in 1991, but officially in uh, 1992 to pursue different styles of music with a solo career. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did some stuff like a band called Fight, sort of thrash, new metal. Uh, not maybe not new metal, more more of like a uh, for the time I guess like thrash kind of groove metal sort of style band. And he okay. ended up doing a, also also started a band called Two, which was uh, much more uh, industrial. Okay. Which is, huh. and I I still have, I mean the verdict's still out for me on that band. I tried to listen to it and I'm not really sure if I if I like it or not. But
0: you're not really into it.
1: I don't know if it was really the right. The, the the right platform for Halford's voice. Mm-hmm. But,
0: well, I know. just uh, I just saw because I I looked up Rob Halford, and uh, it was released on Trent Reznor's label, which is definitely an odd combination. Trent Reznor,
1: yeah. And Rob Halford, Half- so yeah. Halford obviously wanted to try different stuff at yeah. the time. They've been doing mm-hmm. the Judas Priest thing for quite a while at that point, but yeah. So in a, in a way similar to Iron Maiden, they would hire a younger singer to replace their iconic frontman. Back to my topic but.
0: <laughs> right yeah sorry
1: <laughs> so uh a guy named tim ripper owens the ripper is like his nickname right he had actually spent time in a judas priest tribute band called british steel so he already had some some cred i guess he knows the songs some skills and he knew the mm-hmm. songs yeah so the the movie rock star which i've mentioned before starred mark Wahlberg and jennifer aniston it was loosely based on his story coming from a tribute band okay but um Originally, the story was actually supposed to follow the events and use the real names of the band, but uh, the band would end up backing out completely because they disagreed with all the inaccuracies the film company wanted to include in the movie. So the film company probably wanted to dramatize stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, make things the way movie companies do. Yeah, jazz it up. Yeah, jazz it up. So Judas Priest would release two studio albums with Owens, also similar to Iron Maiden. Right. They released Jugulator in 1997 and demolition in 2001 when i actually bought
0: jugulator that's a sweet name
1: so i actually bought demolition in 2001 and it's definitely mm-hmm. the weaker of the two jugulators a far better album it's it's actually oh, okay i haven't very, even good.
0: listened to the album i just mean like the name alone
1: and it's unfortunately great. It's, a great name. It's, it's kind of a travesty but jugulator is not available on spotify which ah makes me lame. very angry but you can get all the songs on on youtube yeah right. i don't
0: the rights make no sense. So I don't understand why some stuff just isn't there. It was like, uh, who who just got on Manowar? They were missing some of their albums, and now yeah. they finally put them on. It's like, don't you I, just I mean, have just, the rights?
1: <laughs> yeah, it just comes down to who owns the rights, I guess, and how much they're willing to deal, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So the two Iron Maiden albums with Blaze Bailey are both available on Spotify, and Jugulator like, destroys both of those by far. Right, But so it's, it's not it's, on there. Yeah, it's a travesty. I hope they, they <laughs> get it on. I think anybody who's listened to this, let's push Spotify to put Jugulator on there. Yeah, let's get, let's get a petition going. Yeah, so uh, unlike Blaze Bailey with Maiden, Ripper Owens' vocal range and style was suited to sing the Halford era songs. Okay. Uh, although the new material would be a bit of a departure from that style, musically. Right. But he definitely had the range. So.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, he yeah. just got a leg up on the Iron Maiden guy. I don't even remember his name, even though you just said so, it. Blaze Bailey. Blaze Bailey. Just yeah. just
1: call him Sideburns. Okay. Oh, he's better than Sideburns over there. Yeah. So, and also in the same vein as Maiden, Priest would eventually reunite with Halford to great success and fact. Right. And yeah.
0: And that's why I don't even know he left cuz it's all it all revolves around Rob Halford and that's all I've ever known. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, they put out it was a little bit after Dickinson rejoined Maiden in 2000 and the next album they put out with Halford was uh, 2005, I believe. Okay. So, oh. it was a little bit after but, you know, similar timeline. Yeah, yeah. Either way, I'm uh, under ten years old, so uh, it's been very educational for you, I suppose.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, it has. I didn't, I didn't know a couple of these, so it was surprising.
1: Yeah, I, it was, it was hard to do this the, to tackle this subject and then have to narrow it down. And even narrowing it down, it's like I felt like I didn't get as deep into things as I should. But mm-hmm. it definitely opens up avenues for future episodes, anyway. Yeah, I mean, you could do a whole,
0: uh, a whole episode on Rob Halford's side projects. I really want to check this this two album out now.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to have to give it more of a chance, I guess. I, I briefly listened to it, and I wasn't enthralled right away, but there might mm-hmm. be some, some decent stuff on there. Yeah. Uh, but with that, we'll uh, head to the workout playlist. Yeah, let's
0: do it. I ain't got time to
1: bleed. This is the job Let's put a smile on that face. wrong wait quick drinking. all right so the way I'm gonna do this is I'll go with a song from the last album of the iconic so-called iconic singer right uh, and then the next song will be a song off the first album with the replacement singer okay okay so just so we have a bit of a structure here so you kind of understand yeah. what I'm doing yeah, so it sounds Bla- good. we'll go with black Sabbath the song is called never say die it's the uh, the title track from the album never say die okay and' uh, it's the last sabbath album with Ozzy from their first go around obviously they've made more music in more recent days mm-hmm. so i've never really listened to this album more than once or twice and same with the second last one technical ecstasy they're not really mm-hmm. uh, it's hard for me to get into them I'm not really sure why but they're uh, they're a bit of a departure from their earlier more yeah. classic stuff in my mind
0: well if there's they're petering out and Ozzy's getting more into drugs and all that i kind of understand Without yeah, any, uh, I, the music? That seems like a part where they would start to go downhill.
1: I don't know. It, was, it wasn't quite the same style as their old stuff. And I just, may, maybe I'm just too stuck on, you know, the classics, but I just didn't find they were as high quality as, as the, you know, Master of right. Reality or Volume 4 or 7. Yeah, like There's so many classic albums, right? Yeah. So uh, this, this is actually the only track that I legitimately enjoy in its entirety on this album. Hm. So it's, it's got a pretty upbeat tempo and a, it's got a cool bridge into the chorus. All and right. uh, I find Aussie's sounds pretty good in it as well. Cool. All right, uh never say die. Black Sabbath.
0: I really like that, but it sounds nothing like Black Sabbath at all. <laughs> like the Black Sabbath I know.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what I found it. And that's I, I actually really like that song. The mm-hmm. rest of the album I could take it or leave it.
0: Right, yeah. That's a that's a great song, but it's they sound like Boston. That doesn't sound yeah. uh, like Black Sabbath. But the, the album cover, as an aside, is pretty sweet. I really like that with their like pseudo gas masks in front of the plant yeah.
1: yeah, and I find that to be a bit misleading because when i see that album cover i'm expecting a better <laughs> <Yeah>. album <laughs> but, it looks hardcore and it's yeah. uh, that's kind of just like
0: 70s rock but good
1: yeah, yeah no that's that's d- definitely a good song mm-hmm. uh, so number two we're gonna go with black sabbath again the song is die young so it's with ronnie james dio singing and we well, just the album.
0: said not to say it come on <laughs> What? what are you guys doing? Well they just said never say die <laughs> It's the last one. Oh and yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and and die young, whatever. I didn't
1: even I didn't even catch that. That's uh yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny just, actually. Yeah. Black Sabbath is they're just mixed signals. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that was Dio and it's from Heaven and Hell. Uh, I love this whole album. Not in small part to uh, Dio's powerful voice mm-hmm. and the, the new energy it injected into the band after things fell apart with Ozzy the uh, so the intro starts out with a bit of synth and some soulful guitar and then it rips it into a uh, high speed almost almost like an iron maiden style kind of song right sweet and it's got another bit of a chill interlude kind of in the middle and then right back into it uh, it's got some great guitar work from Miami and some killer vocals from Dio sweet
0: all right day young black sabbath Yeah, it's sweet. It's uh, Tony Iommi sounds like he's mad at the last album <laughs> with how much he's like shredding on it,
1: that and with great. good reason. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah that too. Yeah, because uh, the Never Say Dies it was good, but it just felt like Tony Iommi was sort of throwing it in
1: <laughs> but yeah, you, you can definitely I'm tell they're reinvigorated at this point. Yeah,
0: like. absolutely. And funnily enough, sounds like an Aussie song at the start, like opening with a synth. It's like Mr.
1: Crowley style. Yeah, that might have just been a sign of the times, because yeah,
0: I guess 1980.
1: That's no. that, that's just what was in in vogue at the time, I guess, with that that synth sound, uh, you know, coming into the early '80s there. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. So speaking of another band that went heavy on the synth in the '80s, <laughs> so, uh, we're gonna do Van Halen, the song right. is "House of Pain," with uh, David Lee Roth, and it's from na- the album 1984, All so right. it was their last their last album with Roth. Uh, at cool. well, at that time, anyway,
0: like before so, he came back, yeah,
1: yeah. So it's a it's a solid mid tempo. Uh, I call it like a cherry on top because it's like the last song on on that album, and it's a right, it's a pretty, pretty damn good album for the most part. Yeah, definitely not my favorite Van Halen album. You know, I'd probably go with the first two, and maybe even Women and Children First. I don't. They have like some really good albums before that, but it's 1984. Still holds its own. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's got it's it's got some huge radio hits like Jump, Panama, yeah. Hot for Teacher, all on there.
1: Well, like I said before, they really hit their peak in popularity at this time.
0: Yeah. And then, so they and then just ton,
1: cut them off. Yeah, they got a ton of radio play from this stuff. But uh, so Eddie Van Halen's unique guitar style is really on display, as it always is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and intentionally, I think it's uh, his guitar is a little bit offbeat from the song. Mm-hmm. And the, the, uh, the drums and the bass really drive the song. Okay. Well. And David Lee Ross vocals are maybe a little more subdued than usual, but they're perfect for... The way the song was written
0: all right cool uh house of pain van halen <laughs> just makes me realize again that eddie van halen is is just a god he's playing like uh i had to look it up to remember the name of the the term as a uh, polyrhythmic because he's playing yeah. a different like he said a different beat but he'll jump back in and then jump out yeah. and it sounds so cool he was such and a female. very hard yeah. to do too yeah, yeah. but it's like, like there's literally it's impossible for a lot of people
1: you you can like he, you can always pick out his guitar style he's, you yeah, know, That's Eddie Van Halen. Like, yeah, no. So seriously. All right, and on to Van Hagar. We're going to do the song <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do the song uh, Good Enough. It's the uh, with Sammy Hagar, obviously. From, yeah. uh, it's from the first album they did with Hagar called 5150. It's the first song yeah. on the album. And uh, it's got a great intro, it's, or it is a great intro to Sammy in the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the song just kicks ass from start to finish. It's got a killer riff, some more... Guitar wizardry from (laughs) Eddie Van Halen. And uh, once again, the drums really carry the rhythm. And uh, Sammy's vocals just fit the band seamlessly. All right. Good enough, Van Halen. Hello, baby. (laughs)
0: I think, yeah, more so than other Sammy Hagar, Van Halen songs. It, it sounds like he's trying to sound like David Lee Roth. Like, he's got some screams that uh, that Sammy Hagar... I don't really recognize him for that, but it's still great. I mean, like, he he's a great vocalist. I I know yeah. some people hate him, probably, but... <laughs> I
1: I Those are probably just the, the purists who can't get over David Lee Roth not being in Van Halen, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean right after that like you have why like, can't this be love and dreams on this album that's
1: it's a phenomenal still album. kills it yeah <laughs> and sammy hagar is a great musician like his voice still yeah. now to this day is still really like strong that's really, really a,
0: that's impressive like uh back to the taylor hawkins concert rush played and they're still amazing and he's still great but getty lee you can tell his voice is can't quite hit what it yeah. used to
1: well he's got like that What is it, like a falsetto kind of he's he's got that really high high pitch yeah right? Yeah, Those are really I guess
0: that's to, to maintain.
1: <laughs> well, that's kind of same with Vince Neil too, right? Vince Neil has that really high pitched vocal style, and to keep right. to keep that over, you know, when you're in your 50s, 60s, that's just yeah, gonna be tough, right? So I, I was gonna go, I was gonna throw in a Van Halen song from the Gary Cherone album, but I changed my mind because I don't want to. We, we have a good flow <laughs> going, I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> okay. So I'll just I'll just put it out there. Check out Van Halen 3 if you want to listen to something. I mean. You probably won't be disappointed because I've, you know, said how not very good it is. But, <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's it's very underwhelming. Anyway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, we're gonna jump to Anthrax. Okay, so we'll do a good. we'll do a song the uh, the last song on, the last album that Joey Belladonna did at that time. All right. The song is called Discharge from Persistence of Time. It's the heaviest song on the album, I think. <laughs> and um, okay. uh, Nothing groundbreaking. But a solid piece of thrash metal with Belladonna's unconventional melodic vocals, at least for thrash.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the, there is a song on that album called "Got the Time," which is a Joe Jackson cover that's much more well oh. known. That's probably the most well-known song on that album. Joe Jackson. But uh, huh? yeah. the the album as a whole, they put out a couple of gems before that, before Persistence. So I mean, to compare Persistence to their previous material, it's not amazing. It's a bit. It seems a bit uninspired, but there some right. good, there's some good some tunes on it but uh, discharge is one of my favorites.
0: Okay. Cool. Uh discharge, anthrax. I <laughs> good! spot where the, the guitar drops out, and it's just bass and drums and vocals, and it sounds sweet. That's a that's a kick-ass song.
1: Yeah, I like that. It's almost got a bit of a hardcore punk edge to it. I yeah,
0: see. yeah. Because uh, uh, yeah, with the vocals, there's a lot of reverb on it, so it sounds almost garage-y, like just the vocals part of it, and with the yeah. backup singers, too. Yeah, not sweet.
1: So moving on to Anthrax with John Bush. Okay. So the song the song is called room for one more from the album sound of white noise the first John Bush anthrax album uh, this this was a kind of a thrash tinged alternative hard rock style I guess you call it uh, and okay. Bush's lower kind of grittier vocal style it really worked with this album the uh, the right. sound was f- kind of fresh and the album ended up being really good in my opinion Sweet. so yeah okay. room for one more room for one more anthrax
0: the find him too much different from what was it Joey Belladonna is that his name yeah yeah okay yeah like he's definitely grittier but he still has a bit of a like peak he can get to yeah throw some vibrato in there
1: yeah well he uh, definitely got some he's got some range he's just uh yeah. maybe a an octave lower or whatever yeah could. yeah definitely like
0: he's not jumping around as much as uh, maybe Belladonna could but uh he hits
1: the notes very well yeah it was a very accomplished vocalist at this point he, you know okay. he's an armored he was an armored saint all through the 80s and put out lots of of right. lots of good material so he knows what so he's doing but he wasn't he wasn't just some unknown quantity
0: mm-hmm. and great song too like it's i love the just the driving riff of it is great
1: yeah that whole album uh sound of white noise is very good i think you probably like that album
0: mm-hmm. actually. I'll have to, I, i'm saving uh saving some of these that i want to check out
1: all right we're going to iron maiden all right The song is Be Quick or Be Dead. It's uh, with Bruce Dickinson from the album Fear of the Dark, the last album they did with Bruce Dickinson in that period. So it's a fast, kind of simple one from the last album, like I said, with Bruce and I made in there until 2000. Uh, It's definitely not at the top of my list when I compare it to a lot of their previous albums, previous songs. Okay, But uh, you can just listen to it, you can gather how Dickinson's powerful voice was a big reason for a lot of their success.
0: Right. Okay. Be quick or be dead, Iron Man. See what's holding on, I like see you hold the strains. I bet you won't fall on your face. Your family will hold you in place. It's not bad. It does sound like he's maybe not quite a hundred percent in it but it's still bruce dickinson so it's good
1: yeah i, I mean it, it doesn't maybe create as much of a, a showcase for say you know, compared to songs like ace is high or something like that right yeah yeah exactly where he's just killing it for the entire song mm-hmm. but uh, you can definitely tell how big of a party is in, yeah in, in their sound
0: oh. yeah definitely
1: uh, so this is probably gonna be the biggest letdown of the playlist but <laughs> we're gonna do <laughs> okay uh, we're gonna do iron maiden song called man on the edge it's a song with blaze bailey from the album the x factor so it's it's actually not a completely terrible song uh, it's just and bailey's voice really isn't that bad in itself it just he doesn't have even close to the range that dickinson has and his voice just doesn't really seem to fit into what iron maiden was expected to be right right and, and it's coming out of you know being so successful throughout the 80s and stuff like in the, comparison it's not uh like, if he was
0: in another band that doesn't have Bruce Dickinson coming up.
1: I mean, if he was in that band Wolfsbane, that's probably where uh, Steve Harris would have found him, the bassist for Iron Maiden. Right. right? Yeah. Where he would have heard him and been like, oh, I want this guy. Because the stuff I've heard from Wolfsbane, he sounds pretty good in that band. It's mm-hmm. just just not the right fit, I guess. Yeah. yeah, So I gotcha. uh, th- this album was a major step down for the band this whole period i guess these two albums the songwriting is pretty weak and it was even worse for the next album the virtual 11. but yeah the song's like i said the song's not terrible but you'll see what i'm saying about about the the voice is, uh, all right
0: hope. sounds good man on the edge iron maiden a know this song really well and i didn't know that this is what it was oh really <laughs> it's got to be from a movie or something or it was on a playlist uh oh my gosh because i i like the fact that i'm really familiar with it makes me like it yeah. <laughs> although it was, he's definitely no bruce dickinson
1: it was a single so i believe there's a video for it that right, right. and whatever that was 95 but yeah, yeah just when you compare him Back-to-back with Dickinson, you can see why it just didn't work, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like he's just nowhere near what he is, yeah.
1: I think his voice can definitely work in another setting, just not Iron Maiden.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I got to figure out where I know this from because it's got to be on something.
1: I wonder if it was on... Because I had like an Iron Maiden Greatest Hits, and -hmm. it's possible a couple of the Blaze Bailey songs might have been on the end of one of those Greatest Hits albums.
0: Yeah, okay. It might be...
1: Like maybe Best of the Beast or something like that. It's possible. Yeah. I, I can't remember offhand. All right. We're on to the last band, Judas Priest. All right. So the, uh, I, my, my numbers are all out of sequence because I took one of the songs out on the fly. But... <laughs> yeah, no, it's
0: okay.
1: <laughs> all right. So the first Judas Priest song we're going to do is called Metal Meltdown. It's uh, with Rob Halford. It's from the album Painkiller. It starts out with a frantic solo and uh, kicks into a thematically brain dead, but very heavy. <laughs> uh, just just a really heavy, sonically, anyway, song. Right. So, Halford's lungs are tested pretty good on this. Like, he sounds he sounds great. And yeah. The band has taken full advantage of this. They got a new drummer named Scott Travis, who's really good. Sweet. Uh, so, like, musically, this album is great. It's super heavy. Uh, the song, Painkiller, as well, uh, is, like, one of my favorite, probably one of my favorite songs. It's super heavy. Great work. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: like, that. you said that this is the first album with a new drummer, so he killed it on Painkiller. I mean, that's... <laughs> One of the yeah. best
1: guitar solo, or drum solos of all time. Oh yeah, so good. But like, if you the the album's full of cliche, like lyrically, uh, but yeah, it, they definitely make up for it with with how heavy it is.
0: Right. Well, one of these songs is called Hell Patrol. Oh which yeah. I, yeah. I kind of love, but I'm assuming <laughs> it's it's not about like politics or anything.
1: <laughs> no, man. Like, even the songs, even though they're they're kind of dumb, they're yeah. still, I I love all of them. I love that whole album. Hey,
0: if you fully commit to the dumb, it can be great. Yeah, I just take it for what it is. I don't
1: don't expect any like, you know, crazy hidden messages hidden in the lyrics or metaphors or anything else. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You just enjoy it. Yeah. Um, All right, Metal Meltdown, Judas Priest.
0: I know know what you mean it's just it's just kind of like the air melts (laughs) we are pumped up like it's very just we're excited (laughs) music but it's awesome
1: yeah they're like the most meaningless lyrics ever but it's it's (laughs) yeah it's so well written musically like all the songs are just they're all like pump up songs you know and it it doesn't even matter what message they're trying to put out oh absolutely just so heavy and the choruses are all really catchy too like it's it's a great album
0: Oh, I mean, even just in this song, you go from a 30 second guitar solo straight into the double kicker on the drums. That's that's enough. I'm in. Yeah. Oh,
1: well, Scott um, Travis is a wicked drummer.
0: It was, yeah, it's awesome.
1: All right. The uh, the final song on our playlist today is right. going to be another Judas Priest song. It's called Bullet Train with Tim Ripper Owens on vocals from the album Jugulator. Okay. So this, this whole album really kicks ass. The second one, Demolition, is not as great. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Owens could definitely handle the vocal duties. Like he definitely had the range, and uh, it it probably didn't work for a lot of Priest fans at the time because they uh, they did change their style a bit into more of a, say a thr- thrash or groove metal style. Yeah, but yeah. it's probably you know maybe next to Painkiller probably their heaviest album, and Sweet. there's so many good songs on it. I would say, and I I just like I said, it's it's a shame that it's not on Spotify because it's really good. So you will have to check it out on uh, YouTube.
0: Yeah, I had to bring it up on YouTube here. And uh, the album artwork is incredible. It's exactly yeah. what the jugulator should be. It's pretty pretty it's epic. A, a man <laughs> made of metal in yeah. fire. <laughs> All right. Uh, bullet train, Judas Priest. I don't have like the the death penalty in canada but if i'm ever put to death for some reason that's the song i want to play while <laughs> i die it's just
1: it's wicked i love it i'm I mean, gonna have to agree with you there yeah it's so yeah. good <laughs> it, it builds up so perfect and then yeah that's great when he, when he, his voice kicks in and he's just hitting that super high note yeah it, he nails it, it. perfectly but if, mm-hmm. if you listen to enough of the song it, it's got a great bridge too it's got a really cool part in it where it changes tempo it's it's a it's a really good song there's mm-hmm. actually some there's a few awesome songs another good song on that album is called bloodstained and then there's uh one called cathedral spires which is really good
0: also solid yeah i might have to just download the album old-fashioned style and have it on my phone in yeah. mp3
1: i'd really like to get like you know a cd of it but i don't have a cd player anymore so oh right <laughs> i'm gonna plan it on vinyl or something yeah so anyway that's the uh that's the workout playlist Sweet.
0: Okay. Uh, I mean, I thought there'd be more disappointments in there.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of went away there. from that. I was, I was thinking about having ones that just failed miserably, and I just decided to kind of <laughs> yeah. keep it a little more yeah. uplifting and and positive right. for this one. But we have, we have plenty of time to have some, you know, some terrible songs and
0: yeah,
1: horrible disappointments.
0: <laughs> we can always show them and then not put them on the playlist, because then the, the playlist still needs to be good. <laughs> you just
1: yeah, I, I kind of want people to. Be inspired by the playlist, you know. Not turned off. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um,
0: well, three out of those five bands, I did not now change their uh, vocalists. So I actually learned a lot today.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was iconic vocalists. So everyone who got replaced was somebody who was very well known and popular, and right, people yeah. thought of them. A lot of them as like the face of the band at the time. True,
0: but uh, yeah. yeah, okay. I'm gonna be re-listening to that playlist though, because I love pretty much all of those songs. Um, uh all right if that's uh if that's it then then don't forget that playlist that we uh just went over it's on spotify so we update it every week with these new songs make sure to check it out and that's gonna do it for this episode of the heavy so see the show notes for a complete list of the songs you heard in this episode and the ones we talked about got a link to that spotify playlist and be sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or your favorite podcast app if you like the show tell a friend and leave us a rating on itunes our website is theheavy.podbean.com. You can email us at theheavypod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at theheavypod on all three. Our show is edited by Ian Sutherland with Andrew doing all the research. Our brother, Rob, designed our logo. Our theme song is Stallions the Highway by Savage Blade. I'm your host, Don Sutherland. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you again in two weeks. Later.